0: Good morning, church. It's great to be here again. I uh, I love being amongst you people here at Webster Bible. A great partner in our ministry for since our inception, actually, here in the Rochester area. And I apologize in advance. Uh, the better part of me, my wife, and my bride, Janet, is not here with me, nor are my three children. Uh, Isaac and Sasha had a children's choir performance in the church that we attend so I thought it'd be best that they go there but uh, hopefully the next time I'm back I'll have all four of my sidekicks with me so I wanted to give you a little bit of an update on our ministry before I get into our message I am extremely extremely thrilled and encouraged by the ministry that we have out at the Wayne County Jail So I got a text late last night by uh, one of my volunteers that uh, leads uh, Bible studies on Thursdays and then does a church service once a month. He had 23 men last night in church, which, if you know the size of the Wayne County Jail, currently we only have, I believe, 36 men. So if you do the math, 23 into 36 is pretty good. That's about... 70%, 70%, I think. Uh, the Word of God is really stirring the hearts of the men and women out at the Wayne County Jail, and it's it's just been a, a tremendous encouragement. In the Monroe County Jail, I'm still a solo act, but the nice thing about that is I'm getting an opportunity to do a lot of one-on-one counsel and discipleship with the men there. I hope to have volunteers back in, hopefully this coming month. I've put together the schedule, and I'm just waiting on the administration to approve it. So if there's one thing you can be praying for, it's that our volunteers get back into the Monroe County Jail where they belong. And then another really, really super encouraging thing that has taken place here in J-16, jurisdiction 16, that's Monroe and Wayne County. We have partnered with the nation of Zambia. Because of generous folks like yourself, we are the first... Uh, jurisdiction in our ministry that is partnering with a foreign nation. What that means is I've started communicating with a chaplain there named Fortunatus. He goes to 34 different jails and prisons throughout Zambia preaching the word of God. Uh, We've connected with a wonderful thing called WhatsApp. Never heard of it. But uh, we get together and we video chat, we we share ministry uh, ideas, we share the burdens that we face, we pray for one another, and Lord willing, in the summer of 2024, which is just over a year from now, I am going to go to Zambia and work side by side with Fortunatus for a couple weeks, going into the jails and prisons there, ministering as well. So that's all on account of you folks, people like you that make this possible, and that is on your account. So one day when you stand before our righteous Lord and Savior, you're going to be able to cast that before Him, the souls that have come to know Him personally because of your generosity, your dedication. I thank you for that. So today we are going to be reading, the main text is in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. And this is Jesus speaking directly to His disciples. And He says, "...let not your heart be troubled." You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, you know, the way you know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. And how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath sent me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believe it's not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake." Now just prior to this passage, Jesus and His disciples had gathered in the upper room for what is known as the Last Supper. He knew that His time on earth had come to its conclusion, and He wanted to give the twelve an idea of what was to come. Jesus acknowledges that He is Master and Lord after washing their feet, and uses the act of service as something that all of His followers should emulate and do unto each other you see jesus understands that satan will manipulate judas iscariot into betraying him in hopes of destroying god's plan for reconciling man to him he even tells judas to go do what he intends to do so that the son of man be glorified and god be glorified in him you see this is the only way for god's plan to be fulfilled So that man's sin can be rightfully atoned for. Father, I just thank you for today. I thank you for allowing us to be in your house, to worship you, to sing your praises. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it holds. And I just pray that as we study your scripture this morning, that you would just touch our hearts and minds, that we would be drawn to your truth, and that you would show us the things that we need to do in order to bring you honor and glory. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, according to some estimates, there are roughly 4,200 religious, religions, churches, denominations, religious bodies, faith groups, tribes, cultures, movements, and ultimate concerns. With so many choices, we are led to believe that all of them will produce the desired result of an afterlife in heaven. In 2020, Pew Research Center conducted a census of the worldwide faith population. And as Steve Harvey would say, the top four answers are on the board. Christianity makes up 31.11%. Islam accounts for 24.9%. Secular, non-religious, agnostic, and atheist. These views combined come to 15.58%. And then Buddhism consists of 5.06%. Now all four of these faiths or beliefs are going to say that they are the way. They will say that they are composed of the real truth. And they will tout that they have the answers to life. So let's take a look at all three of these points individually and see what God's Word has to say about them in comparison to what the world conveys by man's own creative thinking. Now Jesus tells us in this passage that we just read that He is the way. And He is the way. He can make this statement because He is God. He says in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and my Father are one. In fact, He was God before mankind even existed. We read in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. See, all other faiths are going to say, that they are the way to God because they are speaking of false gods. But they are speaking of false gods, I should say. These gods were created by fallible man. They are mere idols and their roots are connected to the master deceiver, Satan himself. Worships, Muslims worship one all-knowing God known as Allah. Followers of Islam aim to live a life of complete submission to Allah. And they believe that nothing can happen without Allah's permission, but humans do have free will. Secularism is simply a framework for ensuring equality throughout society, in politics, education, the law, and elsewhere, for believers and non believers alike. Non-religious, agnostic, and atheist views seek no direction from any source, therefore go the way that they feel is best. There's no foundation to work from, and the follower is robbed of understanding their created purpose. And then Buddhism. Buddhism is based on the teachings of Siddhartha Gautama, or commonly known as the Buddha. Buddha. The main principles of this belief system are karma, rebirth, and impermanence. You see, nothing lasts, and therefore you have no idea which way you are going. Now God, the one true God, gave His beloved Son Jesus for fallen and depraved mankind so that we might become God's children too. There is a direction there. There is an opportunity. In order though to gain the title of son or daughter of God, one must acknowledge that Jesus is the only way for atonement. We read in John chapter 1, verse 12, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 56 verse 5 says, Even unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Now when you think about that, When you think about God's truth and what it has to say about a relationship with Him, Allah cannot say that, can He? Buddha cannot say that. And the secularists, agnostics, and atheists, well, they really have nothing to say about any of this, do they? Now, if the census poll is to be believed as being accurate, then over 70% of the world's population is going in the wrong direction. Now, I tend to believe that this number might be a little generous. It might be a little lower than the actual number. But regardless of the findings, as Christ followers, we can see all around us that most of the world has plugged the wrong faith into their spiritual GPS. Our world is a mess, is it not? We see this every day. And the popular behavior that these false religions produce will eventually have them arrive at a place that the Bible calls hell. Now, I know it's a word that most of us don't like to talk about. Most of us like to avoid it. But it is a reality that after this life, you're going to either go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. And far too often, far too often, we do not share the proper way that will change those people that are destined for hell, that will change their course from going the wrong way and steer them in the direction of the right way. For one reason or another, we stay in our safe circles, do we not? And we rarely venture outside of them to speak about the right way to go. The way that leads to Jesus. The way that leads leads to eternal life. And why is that? When I look at my life, myself personally, I think, why is that? Why am I not speaking up more more often? Well, our society, you know, with the way that we're groomed and conditioned today... We fear being labeled a hater. We fear being labeled intolerant, do we not? The Word of God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, it's rather ironic that the non-believers... That rally against those that follow Jesus often take hatred and intolerance to another level due to their foolishness towards God. Do they not? You know, we can't speak about Jesus, yet they can speak against Him. Can they not? It's acceptable to them. You know, we fear the thought of causing division. Ooh, we don't want to be divisive. That's that's one of those catchwords today, division, divisive. We don't want to be divisive. Well, guess what, folks? My brothers and sisters, you know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter ten, verses thirty four and thirty-five? He said this. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I am not come to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father. And the daughter against her mother. And the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Imagine that. Jesus is saying that he is the dividing line between fact and fiction. And if you're a follower of, of Christ, if you're his child, then you can be divisive in the word of God, by the word of God, in the name of God. Can you not? And we fear being rejected, we fear being shunned, we fear being treated as an outcast. Isaiah put it this way in chapter 53 verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as if as if as it were our faces for him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. You see, Jesus knows this feeling all too well. He knows this feeling of being rejected and shunned and treated as an outcast. Once he revealed himself to be God, he received unmatched scrutiny and rejection. The likes of which we will never know. Man's pride and ego allows him to believe his way is the best way. And I'm often reminded of this raising three children. I feel my way is the best way. Maybe it's not. I get pushed back. But I try to impart my way on them. And sometimes it's not the best way, is it? And this comes into play when defending a false idol or religious faith. That's what the world likes to do. They like to defend it. But God has something different to say about this train of thought or way of living. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says, There is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You see, society has no idea, do they? That eventually, when they stand before a righteous God, they're going to have to give an account of their life. Everything that they've done is going to be revealed to them. And if they have no relationship with Christ, then all of these false gods and idols that they're putting all of their time and attention into are going to be for naught. Now picture, if you will, and humor me, because I, I, I thought of this story, and then when I was done, I was like, yeah, I don't know if it's the best illustration, but, but humor me anyways. So picture, if you will, that you're driving in unfamiliar surroundings. You're in wall-to-wall traffic, your stomach's growling, and your bladder is teetering on the brink of failure. All right? So you kind of got a visual of what's happening here. I'm sure we've all been in that position at least once in our life. And then your GPS begins to vocalize that you're actually getting close to your destination. And it's on the right-hand side. And so you look to the right, and you see the golden arches... They're towering over all the other buildings. And then you see that what keeps you from taking that immediate right to get there is a one-way street. And you have a decision to make. Do you risk going against oncoming traffic in order to immediately alleviate the pressure that you're feeling and to appease your appetite? Or do you drive until you can make the right turn, the right way. Now, I know this sounds kind of goofy and far-fetched, but that is what people are doing every day when it comes to their spiritual immortality. They lay their trust in something that is quick and easy, that's convenient and popular. They do not see, though, that the end will only bring torment, destruction, and ultimate separation from God. Now Jesus not only says that He is the way, but He also proclaims that He is the truth. Muslim scholars reject the four Gospels, the Gospel accounts in our, in our Bible. They say they're not the original teachings of Jesus in which they have been corrupted over time. Now the doctrine of preservation in regards to Scripture means that the Lord has kept His Word intact as to its original meaning. Preservation simply means that we can trust the Scriptures because God has sovereignly overseen the process of transmission over the centuries. Now, we don't possess the original writings. What we do have, though, are thousands of manuscripts from which the original writings can be ascertained. And by thorough examination and comparison of those manuscripts, it is determined that the original writings have been stated and have been preserved. It doesn't affect the accuracy of our scripture. Nor does it mean that God has not preserved our word. God has supernaturally kept and preserved his word. So what you're carrying today is God's word. Okay, Make no mistake about it. It is not man's opinion. It is not man's ideologies. It is the word of God and his direction for our lives. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5 verse 18. For verily I say unto you. Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now the job of the early scribes was to make exact copies of scripture. And they were very meticulous. And they practiced scrupulous precision by counting all the letters in a given book and noting the middle letter of the book. They would then do the same for the copy to make sure that the two matched. And they employed such time-consuming and painstaking methods to ensure their accuracy. So much so that Jesus again affirms that God's word will not pass away in three exact and separate gospel accounts. Matthew 24 verse 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away. But my words shall not pass away. Mark chapter 13, verse 31 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And Luke chapter 21, verse 33 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Now these are three gospel accounts. Three different men, written three different time periods, far away from us, and they all match together. So God's Word will remain and will accomplish all that God has planned. The prophet Isaiah, through the power of the Holy Spirit, stated that God's Word would remain forever. He says this in chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the Word of God shall stand forever. And this was affirmed also by the Apostle Peter when he quoted the same passage in 1 Peter chapter twenty-four, chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flowers thereof fadeth, falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Now neither Isaiah nor Peter could make such statements without understanding that God's preservation of the scripture was true. The Bible speaks of God's word remaining forever. It cannot and will not be lost or destroyed. It is eternal and everlasting. And though the world, the flesh, and the devil will try as they might to say otherwise... They have failed and will continue to fail to extinguish the truth. God's Word, you see, was given specifically for us and it would not be fulfilling its purpose if it were not available to us. We're reminded of that in Romans chapter 15 verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. God's truth brings sight to the blind. It brings hope to the lost. A person cannot be saved apart from the gospel message. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Therefore, in order for the gospel message to be proclaimed to the ends of the earth, the doctrines and truths of the word must be protected. If scripture were not supernaturally preserved, there would be no way to ensure the consistency of its message throughout, from Genesis to Revelation. We read in Acts 13.47, For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Now secularists consider freedom to practice one's faith or belief without harming others, or to change it, or not have one according to one's own conscience. An agnostic is simply someone who doesn't believe it's possible to know for sure if there really is a God. Or if he even exists. And then Buddhists believe that the human life is one of suffering. And that meditation, spiritual and physical labor, and good behavior are the ways to achieve enlightenment. Or nirvana. And I think of these ideologies, and I cannot for the life of me even entertain the idea of any of these false religions or our ideologies, because none of them come with a guarantee, do they? You see, there was no price paid by any of these ideologies to ensure that a favorable outcome exists to those that place their faith and trust in a finished work. But we can put our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's documented. It was witnessed. And so I try never to take my faith for granted. You know, I don't know about you folks, but when I sit down and think about God's truth and how it's embedded on my heart, I can grow overwhelmed just by the unspeakable generosity that was shown to my wretched soul. Because I know how destructive that in my flesh I can be, I know how dark my thoughts can grow. When I take my mind off the truth. And so I am just, I am so thankful. That the Lord was faithful and just to seek me out. And to open my eyes to the truth. And to soften my heart to accept it. And I hope that can be said for everyone here today as well. You see, Jesus proclaimed that He is the way. And He confidently said that He is the truth. And then, and then he offers that he is life. Jesus is life. In Islamic tradition, death is the separation of the soul from the body and the beginning of the afterlife. People who perform several good deeds in the course of their life, according to this belief, will enter paradise. And there, there's no sickness, no pain, no sadness. But those that perform bad deeds, well, they enter a life into hell. In hell, the person endures physical and spiritual suffering. Now, that sounds all fine and good. That almost kind of sounds like what we believe is Christ followers. But then, they believe that not all bad actions are punishable by hell. You see, Allah is forgiving and compassionate to those who reject, regret their actions and have performed certain good deeds in their lifetime to overcome those actions. Now, I've always been interested to know exactly how that works. You know, what good works must a Muslim do in order to cover up and pay for the transgressions that they've encountered in their life? And there is no answer for that, is there? You see, the Word of God says there is absolutely nothing that we can do from a works based perspective. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith and not of yourselves. And not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The word also tells us there is nothing redeemable in our flesh. A verse that we're all too well aware of. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Secularists. They believe that as with all other life forms. There is absolutely no possibility of any life. Beyond clinical death. Some atheists claim that humanity has invented the notion of life after death to ease the fear of death and the unknown. The Bible states otherwise. Luke chapter 16 verses 19 through 25. and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. In Buddhism there is no concept of punishment or reward, and there is no divine being who decides who goes to heaven or hell. There is merely the illusory results of our thought, words, and deeds, which we call karma. A word that Our society loves to throw around far too often. We know that Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we also know by reading the scriptures that Peter, after healing the lame man, the lame beggar, beautiful, and after seeing 5,000 men place their trust in Jesus, after preaching and proclaiming the truth. He was questioned by the high priest Caiaphas, by what authority such things were accomplished. And Peter's response to Caiaphas was, Be it known unto you and to all the people of Israel, by that the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him, that this man stand here before you whole. He boldly continues in verse 12, Neither is there any salvation in any other, for is there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And that name is Jesus. Allah cannot make such a statement because He has no power to save mankind. It was never Buddha's intention to save mankind. And the false gods of entertainment, pleasure, fame, power, selfishness, and instant gratification only add fuel to mankind's eternal destruction. Jesus said unto Thomas over 2,000 years ago, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. And it was true then, it is true now, and it will remain true for all of eternity. Now we have a job to do, church. We're going to leave this building here shortly. We're going to go on with our lives. And we're going to encounter a lot of people that are broken, that are in despair, that are looking for the truth. And unfortunately, a lot of them are looking in the wrong places. And maybe all they need is that prodding. Maybe all they need is a little attention from a kind believer like yourself. It might just start with a smile. It might just start with showing some compassion. And we have the opportunity, church, to impart the truth found in God's Word in their heart. We have the opportunity to cast a seed under the soil of their heart. And maybe their heart's not prepared, but you'd be amazed at how many hearts are prepared for such a time as this. And God has ordained you to be that conduit, to be that vessel, to reach that person. And so I want to encourage you with this passage from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. It's one of my favorite passages. It's an encouragement, and it's something that will give you strength to be able to walk out of your house every morning and encounter this world and the wickedness that's going to be thrown your way. The Apostle Paul writes. And wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And might that be so in our lives Might we be glorifying His name to those around us as we go about our week. Father, I just, uh, I'm humbled by Your grace. I'm humbled by Your love. I'm humbled by Your generosity. And just all the things that You do for us in a consistent manner, There's nothing that can separate us from your love. And yet, our world might tell us otherwise. It's going to tell us that we're not good enough, that we can't measure up, that what we've done is unforgivable, unatonable. As a church, might we boldly proclaim your truth to those around us, might we be an encouragement to our brothers and sisters that might be struggling today. I know our families are under attack. The attacks get more and more intense. And the devil has nothing on his mind other than to destroy the family. And so I just lift up our families here today, God. I ask a hedge of protection about them that you would keep the world, the flesh, and the devil at bay. I pray for the men of this church that we would understand our responsibilities to our brides and to our children. That we would be the faith leaders that we need to be. That we would just love on our wives. That we would give them the things that they need to sustain. That we would draw them to you that we would be deep in your word every day and on our knees every day looking to become the men that you intend us to be and that you want us to be. And I pray for our brides, I pray for the mothers as they nurture our children, that our children would feel their love. That they would just have a peace in their heart and mind as they battle so many things in the schools today especially those in the public schools. And I like to say that our Christian schools are safe, but the devil gets in there too. So we just ask your hedge of protection on them. We pray for those that might be depressed. We pray for healing in their minds, that they would understand that you created them in your image and that you have a plan and purpose for them. I pray you would bring people beside them to just lift them out of that place of despair. And then I pray for this church. I pray that the word would continue to just boldly grow throughout this community in Webster and the surrounding areas. That it would draw the lost here so that they can see there is a better way to live. And that it starts with becoming God's child by surrendering their heart to you. We thank you for Pastor Matt, Pastor Mike, all those that are involved in the ministries here on a daily and weekly basis. And we just ask a special blessing on them that they would be able to endure when the road gets tough, that they would stay on that narrow path and run that race well. And then for all the missionaries that Webster Bible supports, may they be encouraged. May they feel your love. They are in places that are unspeakable. And they give up a lot to follow you and to ensure that your word goes forth to people that have never heard it. So we just ask a a double portion on them today. We ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.